Hello, listeners. We love you. This is Octavia's Parables, co-hosted by myself, Adrian Marie Brown, and my incredible, brilliant co-host, Toshi Regan. <laughs> I love that I can just plug any words in there, and you just have to I be know, like, "That's and me." I just, that's, me. <laughs> that's great. And we are in our fourth season, and we're reading "Mind of My Mind," Book Two of the Patternist series. And right now we're on chapter one, book two, part one, chapter one with Mary and Toshi. Tell us what happens. Ooh, or do you want to well, check in first? I would love to check in. Yeah. How are you doing? Yeah. I'm doing really well. I'm really happy to be here with you. Happy for this fourth season of Octavia's uh, Parables. We are, we are steady in our journey. I'm proud yeah. of us. Yeah. And looking forward to a lot of creative collaboration with many wonderful people throughout the rest of this year. So I feel good. Mm, I love that. I'm also feeling good in this moment. I just went and talked to my turtle for a little bit. <laughs> and it was really helpful because, you know, with the sort of COVID impact is this supply chain slowdown with everything. Mm-hmm. So this year was supposed to be like a three book year. I'm going to do fiction, nonfiction and something, you know, Mm -hmm. like all this stuff. And now it's like maybe going to be a two book year, but maybe, you know, like everything is getting pushed around and who knows. And my Aries rising is like, no, we must persist, you know, and my tortoise is like, or we could just find a patch of sunlight and like hunker down a little bit and see if it's time to poop you know like (laughs) you could just there's you could just bring it right down to slower pace and it'll be okay you know um there's time so that was i feel recentered by my turtle yeah (laughs) yeah and i'm really excited to be here with you like when i slow down i'm like oh yeah i get to be in a conversation with toshi regan about octavia e butler's work like there you go. There's nothing to rush towards. <laughs> this mm. is it. This is the place I was trying to get to. So here we yeah. are. You know, one of my big sisters is Nikki Finney. Mm. And when I was young and used to hang out with her, I was just, you know, always doing things. And Nikki would be like, you need to turtle it a little bit. <laughs> Nikki, you need to like, you need to get down with this turtle wisdom and just slow your roll. And I always appreciate right. it. I've never forgotten that. You need to turtle yeah. it. It's a, it's a, I'm a just going to say it like that. That's great. Yeah. I love She's that. She's like, you need to turtle it. Just turtle um, it. Okay. Well, yeah. so let's turtle our way into this text. That's right. Well, we are where we are. And um, Mary is no longer a three-year-old, super vulnerable child. Mary is a 19-year-old, uh, probably vulnerable person growing into their adulthood. She's she's short short and skinny. She weighs 98 pounds and says she looks like she's 13. Mm. And and she is still with her mom, Rena, but she has also got Emma. She is right in the uh, area before her transition. So she is starting to hear some voices and starting to do things. But man, I love me some Mary. Me too. Mary is not here for play play. And Mary is like, you know, she's taking care of herself the way she has to. So we arrive 
to Mary where she is in her bedroom and she is reading a novel and somebody comes banging on the door. And of course, this is someone looking for her mom, Rena, and they're yeah. drunk and they're banging on the door and they want to know where Rena is. Tell Rena, you know, I'm here. Let me in. Let me in. Let me in. And uh, Mary's like, you need to go away. I'm not who you're looking for. And Rena's not here. You need to go away. Mm -hmm. And the person is very persistent and eventually busts through the door, but gets the surprise of their life as Mary has picked up a skillet and cracks them over the head mm -hmm. and cracks them over the head, gets her things and leaves and mm -hmm. goes on adventure because the person was breaking in so that they could rape Mary and Mary was not here for it. That's right. I really like Mary. Yeah. So she sidesteps him, bashes him on the head and then just gets away. And as she's leaving, she can hear like somebody crying and she can hear them inside of her head. And she's remembering that Doro told her that she's close to her change and that this is what might happen. So she walks and she catches the bus. And she's like, I hope, you know, when Rena and Emma find this person that they'll call Doro. She really wants to see Doro, but she hopes that they will. She goes into a drugstore and she steals some aspirin. And Doro is like, Please don't do that. I'll beat the hell out of you if you ever get picked up for stealing. Of course, she started stealing when she was seven years old and she has never been caught. And she used to steal presents for her mom back in the day while she was still trying to pretend it meant something that she was her mom. But anyway, mm. she knew what she was going to do and she was going to L.A. to shop. So she went to a store. She got a portable radio, a little Sony portable radio. Y'all remember those, y'all? Mm -hmm. I, I never had one of those, but she mm -hmm. did. Um, <laughs> you never I did have, have the one? Walkman. Okay. I had the Walkman. Walkman yeah. is better. Yeah. Private. Um, that's right. Got some perfume. <laughs> um, didn't like the way it smelled, so threw it away. And she took some aspirins. She took four aspirins because her head was giving her trouble. She got a blouse and a halter and some junky jewelry. I mean, she like did a good clean out of the store. On her way back to, to forces, somebody screamed bloody murder inside of her head. That's the way she described it. Um, she felt like she had been hit in the face. She she got things mixed up. She couldn't tell what was really happening. And she's trying to get up on this bus. And she's trying to gain control of herself. And while she's doing that, people are like bumping into her and knocking her about. And she's just trying to stand still and not get overwhelmed by the by the sounds that she was was hearing and feeling she says i wasn't exactly trampled i just kept getting shoved out of the way mm -hmm. somebody shoved me away from the door of the bus other people pushed me out of their way i couldn't react all i could do was hang on and wait and then it was over mm -hmm. and she was uh, barely able to get on the bus before it pulled away but she got on the bus and then as she got off she made sure to knock a few people down on her way out <laughs> I love Mary. I just did I say that already? You're not gonna push me. You're yes. not gonna push me. I remember you from before. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, Mary, you mm -hmm. come through. Mary's the comeback kid. That's right. Yes, Mary wasn't really looking forward to going home. She didn't want to hear Rena's mouth. She didn't want to hear Emma talking to her, and she was like, she didn't want to be in any trouble. But she decided to go home. And I read there was nothing else to do anywhere. Anyway, Forsyth is a dead town. Rich people, old people, mostly white people, even the southwest side 
where we lived wasn't a ghetto or at least not a racial ghetto. It was full of poor bastards from any race you want to name, all working like hell to get out of there, except us. Rena had been out. Doral told me, but she had come back. I never have thought of my mother as very bright. So they're on mm. Dell Street and Forsyth Avenue, and she walked to the side of Dell. She wanted to see if there were any police cars or anything like that. She knows she would be in big trouble from Doro if she got in any kind of tangle with the police. But she gets into the house, and Rena and Emma let her have it. Do you realize you could have killed that man? Do you want us to go to prison? Emma, can't you think for once in your life? Why'd you leave him here? Why didn't you at least, at least come and get me? For God's sake, girl, Rena, what did you hit him for? Will you tell us that? They didn't give her a chance to say anything. And then she was just like, well, it was either that, hit him or screw him. And then Rena, oh, Lord, can't you talk decent even when Emma is here? <laughs> it's kind of mm. like, I just love the whole, you know, yes. let's all get proper and like, you know, clear. <laughs> Like, I'm like, right now? <laughs> okay. Really antagonize this, this child who has saved her own life. I don't know. Not impressed with these two women right now. Mm-mm. And then uh, come through Mary says, I talked as decent as you taught me, mama. Besides, what did you want me to say? Make love to him? I wouldn't have loved it. And if he had managed to do it, I would have made sure I killed him. And then Emma says, you did enough. She was calming down. What did you want with him anyway? I asked. What you want to do? Put him in the hospital? You fractured his skull. So that was, mm-hmm. <laughs> she just gets in a lot of trouble. You know, I'm not really clear about why nobody cares that she protected herself from a rapist, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. maybe we will discuss that with your questions. I'm yeah, not sure. exactly. So she says to Emma, was this person related to you? And Emma's like, yes, unfortunately, that was one of my grandsons. And, you know, she glanced at Rena with disgust. You can't find anybody but relatives to screw because basically it was like a grandson and related to Rena. Mm-hmm. And Rena's like, you know, it's none of your business. And then Emma shines this light. I wouldn't pretend to be so disgusted with the idea of incest if I were you, Mary. Emma sort of bared her teeth at me. It wasn't a smile. She and I didn't get along most of the time. She thought she knew everything, and she thought Doro was her private property. Mm-hmm. I got up and went to my room. So Doro arrives the next day, and Doro is like, you know, not happy with her. But we reflect on when she was younger, and Mary always wanted to call Doro daddy. And Doro was like, you know, don't call me daddy. And Mary's like, I want to call you daddy. And Doro's like, you're not going to like it later. Mm-hmm. That you're calling me daddy, so just don't do it. But she does it anyway because she's stubborn and she want to be how she wants to be. And then, you know, a, a little bit later, as she starts to grow up, she didn't like that she had been calling him door- daddy at all. And I think that's right. Our wild seed people know the reason why. Whew. It's heavy. Dora was a black man this time, and that was a relief because the last few visits he had been white and she just wasn't here for that. He was a, a big stranger sitting on the side of her bed, and she asked him to talk, and then she knew who it was. She had already grabbed a knife and says, can I kiss you, or are you here to jump me too? That's what Doro says. <laughs> Oof. And he pulled back the blankets, and he found the steak knife that she had hidden. And he's mad as well. 
he's like, can you just leave the knives and the frying pans in the kitchen where they belong? And he's like, the guy was going to rape me. And Doro's like, well, you're going to kill somebody. And she's like, not unless I have to. If people leave me alone, I'll leave them alone. Doro tells her to get dressed. And she gets dressed and goes in the car with him. And he takes her to a jail. And they're not inside the jail. They're just like outside the jail in the car. And she loses it. She all of a sudden can hear and feel so many overwhelming voices, so much pain, so much violence. It's absolutely terrifying. She's holding it all in her head. She's getting this enormous headache and Mm. she is screaming. She's like, it's just a nightmare where the walls are coming together on you and you can't get out the kind where you're locked in some dark, narrow place and you can't get out the kind where you're at a zoo locked up like an animal and you can't get out. She's like, I have never been afraid of the dark, not even when I was little, and I'd never been afraid of small, closed places. And the only, only place I have ever seen a room where the walls formed a vice was in a bad movie. But she screamed and screamed and screamed and screamed and begged to be driven away. And when Doro finally drove away, she almost caused him to have an accident. Mm. He's like, Doro's like basically doing a scared straight situation with her, like trying to let her know she can't be arrested. It's almost like Daryl's not so mad that she's like doing stuff. It's that like in the time that they're in, she is not somebody who can get away with doing things like that, that she won't survive jail. He won't, she won't survive any of that stuff. So (laughs) Daryl was like, you cannot get be in a prison. Mm -hmm. Like you have to make some better choices because like, you know, this is what you're going to be in. And I just want to laugh at Doro driving a car right now. I know. I'm like, how? Sway? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just want to laugh about that Doro has aspirin in a glove compartment and is driving a car. Yes. Like, y'all, come on. Yes. Doro, last time Doro was on horseback. So here we go. <laughs> so he just, he also cares that she's just, you know, eating aspirin without water. And he's like, you're going to get sick. I don't know. Doro, you're confusing me right now. Mm -hmm. But this is really what's happening is that he is trying his best to protect Mary from getting into any kind of trouble because she is very, very close to her transition. So this is one thing that's happening is that she is going to go through her change and that can't happen in a jail. And she will be so overwhelmed inside of a jail cell is very certainly that she would probably die in her transition. So he's trying to protect her in his Doro way. So manipulative. Um, (laughs) So manipulative. manipulative Oh my God. God. He just has, I don't know. He's lived such a long time. He still doesn't. Right. You know, he still doesn't have it together. And, you know, Doro has like really tried his best to set them up. He's got, you know, money coming in and things like that. There's some history around some of the things that, Uh, Doro and Rena experience, but mostly he is like, you was out here with your mom and Emma. I need you to stay out of jail. I need you to like take care of yourself. But basically he has this plan for her that he discussed with Emma earlier, which is to get her married. And so this trip, it's almost like her, you know, hitting the guy with the skillet and things. Mm -hmm. He's like, it's time for you to move again. So he's like, you're getting married. And I don't know if if y'all have picked this up. Mary is only interested in Doro. Yeah. That's that's who she loves. 
that's who she wants to be with. The whole question of incest and all of this stuff, it doesn't matter. She wants to be with Doro. Yeah. And so she's like, you're getting married. And she's like, uh, nope, I don't want to get married. And he's like, you're getting married and you're going to get married to one of my sons. And this son is not related to you at all. It's a stranger, a total stranger. And you will marry him. And she's like, why can't I marry you? And she's like, you know, why don't you just kill him? You mean like, so just take this guy's body and like, he's like, no, you're just going to marry him. So basically they have a fight around that. She doesn't want to do it. He's like, you don't realize it, but that might really be a problem. You're an experimental model. Your predecessors have had trouble with me. So it's like, you know, she woke up in the morning, a guy tried to rape her. She saved her life. She went shopping to release some steam. Yep. You know, which means she went and stole some stuff. She comes back home. She has an attack at home on the way home on the bus. She gets in the house. Emma and Rena are like, why in the world did you hurt this man? Literally, again, nobody questioning that the man was about to rape her. Yeah. Then Doro comes. She's so happy to see Doro. But then Doro's like, "Uh, I need to scare you straight because you don't actually understand where you are in your progress as a living being. And then does that makes her get some clothes, I guess some lady clothes, mm-hmm. and <laughs> and then tells her she's going to marry this white man and then tells her that not only is she going to marry this, marry this white man, but that she has, like, her particular gifts have not been so successful. Yeah. And so he is trying to get her with this other guy so that they can make the next iteration of people that Doro is into. You know, mm. she is shaken by this. And she asked him, are any of these people still alive? And he didn't answer. And she took a deep breath and she stared out the window. And she says, okay, how do I keep from having trouble with you? And he's put his arm around her. And for some reason, she didn't flinch away. And she actually moved closer to him. And mm. he lets her know, I'm not threatening you. And she's like, yes, you are. But tell me all about this son of yours. So... They drive to Palo Verde Avenue where the rich people live and he stops in the front of a three-story white stucco mansion, a Spanish tile roof, green arched doorway, clusters of palm trees and carefully trimmed shrubs, acres of front lawn, one square block of a house and grounds. And Doro is like, ta-da, this is your house. (laughs) And she's like, damn, he owns the whole thing. And he's like, yep, free and clear. And then she goes, Oh, Lord. Is he white? <laughs> like, literally, what? <laughs> she was like, like, what? And then he's like, he's like, oh, yeah, he's white. And then she's like, oh, Doro, man, what are you trying to do to me? I love Mary. So he's like, I want to get you some help. You're going to need it. <laughs> and uh, Mary wants to know what he can do for her that she can't. He'll take one look at her. And Doro just, you know, Doro just says he lives in this part of town tells me that he's the wrong guy and the first time he says something stupid we'll kill each other mm-hmm. and then very seriously Doro says I wouldn't pick any fights with him he's one of his actives one of Doro's people who's already gone through transition and turned into whatever kind of monster Doro has bred them to be Emma was one of was one kind of active Rena in spite of her good family was only a latent 
She yeah. never quite made it to transition. So her ability was underdeveloped and she can't control it or use it deliberately. All she could do was pass it on to her children and put up with the mental garbage it exposed her to now and then. So Daryl said that was why she was crazy. And so Mary wants to know, well, what kind of active is he? And he's a telepath. The most ordinary kind, a telepath, my best telepath, at least until you go through. Mary's like, so you want you want him to read my mind? And um, Doro explains that he won't have much of a choice. If you're in the same house, um, he'll, he'll read your mind uh, sooner or later. And Emma asks, he doesn't have any more control over his ability than I do over mine. And Doro explains he has a great deal more control than you. That's why he'll be able to help you during and after your transition. But none of my telepaths can shield out the rest of the world entirely. Sometimes things that they they don't want to sense filter through to them. More often, though, they just get noisy and snoop through other people's thoughts. So, so his name is Carl Larkin, mm. and and he's too rare and valuable to kill so carelessly. And so are you. So this is basically like this fear of putting people together in Doro's world is very often they, they don't get along. Yeah. And especially with telepaths. And so they, they get into fights and they can easily kill each other. Doro is trying to lay a foundation of something so that they don't do that. He's like really trying to explain to her like, this is a very powerful person. They're more powerful than you. They can be helpful to you. Yep. But if you come at them the wrong way, they can kill you. And he doesn't want either one of them to be killed. I think Duro sees them as the beginning of the best era of his breeding programs. This is like he's he's almost there. Mm-hmm. So she wants to know why does she have to get married? She doesn't want to get married to give him whatever she's supposed to give. She's like, I don't have to marry him to have a baby by him. Is that what you want? And he's like, well, that might be all I want once I've seen how you guys, you know, you come through transition. All I want now is for the two of you to get to realize that you might as well accept each other. I want you tied together in a way you'll both respect in spite of yourselves. Mm. And then she says, you mean we'll be less likely to kill each other if we're married? And he's like, yeah, he'll be less likely to kill you. The match is going to be pretty uneven for a while. I'd keep it low if I were you. I can't. <laughs> He's like, you need to chill, young lady. He's like, you need to chill. You're not in charge over here. Yeah. Mary is pretty broken by this. She wants to cry and she feels terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, and she she understands exactly who Dora wants her to be. I read, she says, I'd never thought of myself as just another of Dora's breeders. Just another goddamn brood mare. Rena was, Emma was for sure, but me, I was special. Sure, Doro had said it himself, an experiment. Apparently, an experiment that has failed several times before. And Doro was trying to shore it up now by pairing me with this stranger. She says, when do I have to marry him? And Doro says, in a week or two. Come on, Doro. Like what? So... (sighs) She says, I would have put up more of a fight if I had known how to fight Doro. I never much wanted to fight him before. I remember once when he was staying with Rena and the electronics company out in Carson, one of the businesses that he controlled was losing money. Doro had this guy who ran the company for him come to the house to talk. Even then, I knew that that was a hell of a put down to the guy. 
Our house was a shack compared to what the guy was used to. Mm. Anyway, Dora wanted to find out whether the guy was stealing, uh, having real trouble, or just plain incompetent. It turned out the guy was stealing. Big salary, pretty young wife, big house in Beverly Hills, and he was stealing from Doro. Stupid. The guy was Doro's, born Doro's, just like me. And every dime of his original investment had been Doro's. Still, he cursed and complained and found reasons why, with all the work he'd done, he deserved more money. And then he ran. And Doro shrugged. He had eaten dinner with us, got up, stretched, and finally gone out after the guy. (laughs) I should not be laughing. The next day, he came back wearing the guy's body. So, yeah, she just really understood that she would not win a victory over Doro. And she was, like, depressed and upset and frustrated. Doro took her back to the hotel and bought her lunch. She didn't have breakfast, so she was hungry. And then they went to his room and they made love. Really, I would call it screwing when I had to do it with his damn fool son. I had been in love with Doro since I was 12. He made me wait until I was 18. Now he was going to marry me off to someone else. I probably loved him in self-defense. Hating him was too dangerous. We had a week together. He decided to take me to Carl when I started passing out with the mental stuff I was picking up. It surprised him the first time it happened. Evidently, I was close, closer to transition than he had thought. There y'all go. Oh, Lord of mercy. Lord of mercy. Um, Doro, Doro, Doro. Yeah, Doro, Doro, um, so scary. <laughs> so, he's so, um, scary. He's so terrifying. He's so terrifying. Yeah, and we'll talk about why. So, questions for this chapter. What are your first impressions of Mary? You know, I know we're biased. <laughs> totally. We are team Mary. But what are your first impressions of her? How would you describe her? What do you think her sign is? <laughs> would you be friends with Mary? Would you be drawn towards Mary? Would you want Mary on your team? You know, just notice notice how Octavia is offering Mary to us mm-hmm. as a 19-year-old. Uh, yet another one of Octavia's young protagonists, right? Mary is on the threshold of a transition, in which she'll be coming into these powers, hopefully good powers. Hopefully she'll be one who can live. Have you ever been through a transition? Mm. Have you been through a few transitions? Have you been through something that unfolded at a physical level, a shift in your capacity? (laughs) I just watched the movie Turning Red. Have you seen this yet, Toshi? So no. I really recommend it as a transition movie. It's a kid's movie, a young adult movie about getting your period where you turn into a massive giant red panda. <laughs> wow. And it's it's wonderful. But it made me think of this transition and this this journey. So just think about your own life and those moments of shedding who you were to become Mm. someone else. What have you needed during that time? And then Mary's power, we're beginning to sense what it is, right? That she struggles being around other people and struggles with differentiating between what's actually happening and what she's sensing in her head, which she might be sensing from others' minds, sensing from others' experiences. 
And this is a favorite theme of Octavius, right? Is this, we can feel each other. So this is, you know, there's a literary lineage relationship that happens between a character like Mary and Lauren Oya, Olamina in Mm -hmm. the parables and in her grandmother, great, 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 great grandmother, Emma slash Anyanwu, right? There's just this sense, how can we feel each other? And the question I have around this is, do you ever struggle with distinguishing reality from what's happening in your own mind? Mm. Right? Or are you someone who's like, I feel very comfortable assuming that what I'm experiencing and observing and feeling is all based in reality? Mm. Right? And I want people who live inside of any oppressed identities to particularly sit with this question because part of how these oppressive systems work is by trying to make us think things about ourselves that are not true. You know, so we can be told, that's not realistic. It's not realistic that a black person could be equal to a white person, right? Right. Like we've had, right, centuries (laughs) of that kind of, that's reality, yeah? Mm -hmm. So just think about that as like, do you ever have those moments where you're like, I can feel something different in my mind? Mm-hmm. And I know for me, you know, just on a vulnerable level, some of my best work has come from sensing something really different in my mind from what I was being told was reality mm-hmm. and trying to write it down or sing mm-hmm. it or hear it, you know? Mm-hmm. What about you, for you, Toshi? Mm. I'm really yeah. curious about that. <laughs> I mean, I I I kind of can tell them apart pretty good, mm-hmm. but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it, the space in my mind. It's really necessary. Yeah, it's like you know, like especially when I'm doing like music, because I I write a lot spontaneously. Yeah. You know, like I'm in the studio and then I just start creating something and I start writing like, and I always feel like I'm inside of another space than a space that I'm in. Yeah. And I'm always grateful when I find partnership with other artists and engineers who really can tell that's happening because they don't start asking me what do do I want to do next or what's happening or what is going on or any, any of those questions. They just wait for me to pull it together and... And then I kind of come out of that space and I'm like, okay, boom. Yeah. So that happens to me a lot. And I like that. Yeah. And then it's it's also like, you know, a little hard to be present if it's happening very strongly. Yeah. I, you know. <laughs> <That's>, I <laughs> it's hard I mean, to be present. Understatement of the year. Yes. It I, really is. <laughs> it's like I'm thinking about the number of times that like I'll be talking to someone who I love and I want to be present with, but then something yeah. else is happening in my mind that's like You can't do it. Oh wow, I need to follow that. I'm supposed to I'm supposed to go, you know, my my family knows this, but I'll often like dip out and be like, I'm gonna go to the bathroom real quick with my phone. <laughs> yeah. Like um and like where some people might be like, I'm scrolling, you know, mine is like I have to write this whole idea down. And I have to yeah. write it down like very clearly in order for my life to be complete. <laughs> yeah. You know that the Allied Media Conference, that the virtual one in 2020? Yeah. And um, me and J. Bob Alota 
amazing creative director and VP at Mozilla Foundation, but a filmmaker at heart. We're trying to figure out like how I was making this film offering and I was like trying to figure out what it could be and Bob ended up directing the film because Bob was like, "Yeah, you know what it is? She's like, it's like when you do that thing you do. And I was like, what thing I do? You know, she's like, you know, you, you think you do. And I was like, what? She's like, like when you pick up the phone and we're in the middle of a conversation and you're like, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> like, you know, you start singing into the phone and then you like come back. And so that whole piece that thing. was based on <laughs> that whole piece was based on like the things that are happening inside my head as I get to a song, which then people hear at the end of the exactly of the film. It was deep. It was like that was that thing. Well, so. and and I love this because we are really, you know, I think it speaks to where we are in life that it's like our minds are going to like healthy alternative realities. Mm-hmm. But I also have had a lot of experience, especially in my twenties before I understood how to work with plant medicine of negative experiences of being like something, mm-hmm. I think something really malicious, really nefarious and evil is happening right now. Like I really yeah. think something really bad is happening. And then being like, oh, I was just high. <laughs> I was high. Right. Um, yeah. And I was, you know, I had to really learn that for me, I had to avoid sativa, <laughs> you know, just straight up right. sativa level weed. Like, I'm like, I can kick it with some indica and just chill my body out. But like, yeah. I have to be very, very conscious of the drug set and setting that I mm-hmm. that I am in because it's so believable, right? Like, it's really nearly impossible to, you know, to have your mind just being like, this is reality and, and to right. make the distinction when you're in that altered state, you know? And I feel like, meditation is teaching me this on another level that like Mm. we really are in a world that we are constantly being told is like a miserable, violent, divisive world (laughs) and that everything is a crisis and urgent and all of this stuff. And then meditating, you know, for 30 minutes, I'm like, Oh, that's not, that's not, I don't know when to say it's not the real world because I don't want to be like in a spiritual bypass, but I'm like, there's a, there's a world underneath all that. Right. There's something at the surface, you know, when we're at the surface and untethered from that larger spirit, that larger home base, then we can think that the world is all this petty, violent stuff (laughs) and that we have to participate and play the game. But you opt out for a moment. It's like, oh, something else. So anyway, I I named that, too, because I'm like, I want Mary to I'm like, don't hang out with Doro. Like, go to a meditation class. (laughs) Yeah. You yeah. know, like yeah, he's not, he's not going to help you with this transition, honey. No, he's just going to be like, get to my, get to my, where yeah. I want to go. Exactly. I mean, like he's sleeping with her uh, anyway. So the next question I have <laughs> is this thing happens where Mary comes back. She has saved her own life. She has protected her body. She's gone and, you know, attended to herself and comes back to her angry caretakers. And they're like, why would you do that? Why is he laying here? And mm-hmm. not making any, you know, like, oh, protection. Like, this is, right. she's protecting herself, right? So how often, and maybe this is you, maybe this is people around you, but how often have you experienced kids having to save their own lives or protect themselves and then having to explain themselves to not get punished or just having to get punished, 
right? Like how Mm -hmm. often are we punishing people for saving their own lives or for protecting themselves, right? Mm. And what is that about, right? Because we call it safety. We say that uh, we're trying to keep our children safe. We're trying to keep people safe, but often we don't listen to how they're trying to keep themselves safe. That's right. Right. I mean, it's, it's so true. I've had both sides of it. You know, mm-hmm. I've like, I've gotten whacked when I was a kid for not being where I was supposed to be, <laughs> you yeah. know, but making sure I was someplace that was good for me, Yeah. you know, and then I have also like just gotten, uh, you know, terrorized again as a kid and then punched somebody in the face mm-hmm. and then, you know, just have my mom like stand up for me. And be like, you know, we can resolve this if you just never come over here again to the, yeah. the people who are beating me up. That's right. You know, it's 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 also there's just the technology of like, you know, in this situation, I don't really understand it. Like I'm, a, I actually am like, you know, sometimes Octavia does something, yeah. and I'm and I'm like, but by now they already know who she is. They already mm-hmm. know she's going through transition. They already know all of the things. You know it. They're not sharing as much yet about what Anyangu's gifts are, but we already know what they are. Yes. So I'm like, why? Why in the world isn't there like a better door? Why? Like we already exactly. know that she was an abused child when she was three. That's right. You know, um, and, and so we know she, what Rena's up to, and right? we know what Rena's up to. Like we know all the things. Why isn't there better protection for her? Why hasn't she grown up? in a better space like yeah. you know just it just is like you know yeah I, it's confusing storytelling to me why do they care so much to to yell at her yeah. when this person really was like well it's going to be you if it's not if it's not Rena, it's going to be you so i didn't i didn't really understand that right i, was, I just thought something deeper could have happened there well and i think so much of it is wanting to set up like now we're in this police age, right? So like when we mm-hmm. first entered the wild seed world, we're in the era, the slavery era. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, what we have to be careful of are the threats related to slavery and like how people right. are gonna see this. So I think this is on a world building level, like it's, it's like, oh, jail is now yep. the most, that's the scariest thing that's for any thing. of our Doros children cannot be in jail. And yep. so much so that, you know, he literally says that to her, like, wouldn't you, wouldn't rape be preferable to being in there? Yeah. Right. And which brings me actually into my next question too, which is just, do you see how normalized sexual harm and sexual assault and violation Mm -hmm. is in Doro's world? Like every single person that Doro is in relationship with, every woman so far that we've seen that he's in relationship with, he is in some violating sexual relationship with them right like he mm-hmm. is amongst other things the the rapist of all of these people that because of the power dynamics right that mm-hmm. there's there's no true consent possible because of how each of these people are are being groomed by him bred by him groomed by him parented by him it's it's just such a violent world that he has created yeah. and particularly for women. So I want to make sure that people have that lens on this because we're also experiencing, it's like we 
she keeps taking us back and forth between the horrific world of Doro and how charming he is. And like these small acts of care, these small acts of attentiveness. And it's like, there's no balancing of the scales, like these tiny, tiny things he does just to get what he wants. And then what he wants is a total life violation. Yes. Right? And so just, I'm like, keep your goggles on, keep your, you know, like don't lose perspective, even when there's these other kinds of moments with him. And I think a question I want our listeners to reflect on is, does this Doro realm feel more or less dangerous than your own world, right? Mm. Than the world we're living in right now, than the world you grew up in, you know? I think Octavia was really pointing us towards how normalized sexual harm is in our world. Yes. And and how easy it is to look away from it, right? When something's normalized, that's literally what happens is you're just like, oh, you know, like everyone experiences that or like children, adults, girls, anyone is, this person can knock at your door and just be like, I'm, I'm here for something. I'm gonna yeah. take it from whoever's here. And as always with Octavia's work, she's pointing towards class and privilege Mm -hmm. as a subtext for everything else. That it's Mm -hmm. like, this is the world. Are you experiencing it or not? If you're not, that means you're in a safer place than these folks are. It doesn't mean that this isn't happening. Right. Right. So important. Yeah. And you were saying that too, it's like the sexual harm the sexual violations of Doro and and this world. Yeah, is there anything you want to add on what you think Octavia was pointing us towards? I mean, I don't know, because it's in so many things. Yeah. You know, like in Parable, when we were especially reading Parable of the Talents, we were both just like, yeah, really thinking about the way the, the enslavement of people and especially children was happening in Lauren's brother. And it's like, she really gets that. It's the thing. It's the thing that holds, holds people down. Yeah. In a, in a particular kind of way and doesn't allow them to do like whatever is they would have rather done. Yeah. You know, if in Parable of Talents, if Marcus hadn't gotten caught and turned into like, you know, if he wasn't being like a slave that they were using sexually, then what would Marcus have been, you know? And what would he have done with his time? Even if he was the same situation of being out on the road by himself and still he was already in a dangerous enough situation. But like, you know, so to think about, you know, someone like Mary who's already got like enough on her plate, like what does it mean that the fact that she is one having the challenge of, protecting herself from you know her mother's men but then has this almost this relationship to her father that she she physically and mentally can't control like her desire yeah and and Octavia is creating this complication and it's in a lot of her work that you know you end up in situations like this that navigate you towards making choices around your survival and your freedom and your yeah. community through the lens of like not having full agency of your body. Yes. And it's, that's it's, right. it's a difficult, 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 difficult thing. 
Yeah. Well, and I think there's something, I feel like there's also something that Octavia is trying to push us to examine or interrogate around sex, what Mm -hmm. it is. And like with each of these people who are otherwise very powerful Mm-hmm. humans you know with mm-hmm. like literal powers but also like the way that they move through the world is like you're not going to diminish me you're not going to violate me you're not going to cross my mm-hmm. boundary but desire and longing pull them out of alignment with those boundaries and with that strength and in that position all of a sudden it's like this is my daddy <laughs> you know and yeah. i'm processing stuff there and yeah, I want us to keep examining this throughout this text and yes. with Doro, but also like it's something, maybe a, a, just a really intimate question I want our listeners to be in a reflection of is like, are you able to navigate sex in ways that keep you safe or ways that put you in more danger, in ways that honor your power and and sort of build your intactness, you know, mm-hmm. that pleasure creates more intact decision-making and mm-hmm. self-care or in ways that diminish that safety and and whittle away at your boundaries or whittle away at at your capacity to make good decisions for yourself, right? Just notice what desire does there because it feels like, it does feel like a theme throughout Octavia's work, but it also feels like a big theme in this political moment, right? That I'm like, I think we are, some of the quagmire that we're stuck in is related to how we know how to hold boundaries or not hold boundaries around sex and what we create as normalized or, you know, normalized conditions around, you know, I'm like, Mm. who are you calling people daddy? Like, you know, what are the power (laughs) dynamics of, of these structures? And, and are we thoughtful? Are we intentional about the values Mm. that are being moved through our bodies? You know, are there places this, this quote that Mary says, are we loving in self-defense? Right, mm. that she kind of loves Doro in self-defense because hating him would be more dangerous. Yes, right. And I'm just like, you know, is that isn't that our relationship to the U.S.? <laughs> you know. Yeah. So the final Speak question. The I mean, just like you know, like, is there Speak anywhere the to go? Like, where can we be? Where could we be safe? Speak Won't we truth. be found anywhere we go? Right. Mm-hmm. Won't we be violated anywhere we we lay? Final question for us today: What? At this point in the narrative, as you're watching Mary go through this transition, what do you see as Mary's options, right? Mm. She's really giving you the landscape as she sees it, that there's no coming up against Doro, right? What do you see as her options for her life, for her safety, right? For how she navigates Doro and Emma and Rena and everything else. What are Mary's options? Yes. Okay. It feels... It feels very much like a, you know, what he what happened with Anyanwu with um Yes, you know, the beautiful son. And I'll yes. see that end up being her beloved partner. But yes. what before that happened, Anyanwu was like, no, absolutely not. Yes. You and know. you know, it's like and this is I mean, this is why like I talk about this book as like this is the text, you know, like when it comes to thinking about organizing and understanding like how we create change in the world, I really think this is the text, like maybe the most important text that Octavia offered us. But it's it's a hard text to read, but we have to keep asking ourselves every moment that we can, mm-hmm. what are the options here? Because well, I think that's what will allow us to see how do we go from having none to having some. <laughs> there you go. 
Right. And we need to do that. Because that's what we need, we need to, to do. That that's practice, all we need yes. to do. All right. So that's why we're here, y'all. That's why we host this podcast. Adrian Marie Brown over here, Toshi Regan right over there. And mm-hmm. our producer, so the squad is thick, brilliant, deep. Our producer is Kat Aaron, our show artist from Krista Franklin. We are transcribed by Jess Pinkham. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at O Parables. And you can go on Patreon and become a patron of our work at patreon.com slash oparables. Transcripts for all episodes are live at readingoctavia.com. And music, music for <laughs> Octavia's Parables is You Don't Know the Time, written and performed by Toshi Regan. And the sower song written by Bernice Johnson Regan and performed by the cast of Octavia E. Butler's Parable of the Sower, Memorial Hall, Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Love y'all. See you next time. See y'all. Take care. A sower went out to sow her seed. 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 A